Welcome to Committing Faith in Public, a podcast for people who want to be inspired by individuals and communities of faith, working for a more just, kind, and hospitable society. Through the stories our guests tell, we want to encourage you to commit your faith in public, too. I'm Gary Palouse-Overdand, Executive Director of the Center for Religion and Public Life at Phillips Theological Seminary in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm on today with one of Phillips' own uh, alumni, uh, uh, Lauren Richmond. Lauren is a Master of Divinity graduate, yes? Yep. And what year? 2013. 2013. Been that long, eh? Yeah, hard to believe it. It is. It is. So first, um, and, and, and well, Lauren is on today. Uh, he is himself a podcaster now. Uh, and he has a podcast called Future Christian, which is available in Spotify and Apple and anywhere else. Google, pretty much most of the major platforms you can find it. Very good. Very good. And I want to talk to you about that some. But uh, first, just generally, uh, for those of you who don't, for, the, for those in our audience who don't know you, um, what have you been doing since graduation from Phillips? Well, a lot. It's hard to, I'll try to be concise. Uh, I've been I've, fortunate to serve uh, two churches primarily. Um, one was a UCC church for about three and a half, four years. Uh, I was working in a new church start that unfortunately uh, closed down about seven, eight months ago. That was a Disciples of Christ church start here in, in my part of the uh, Colorado area. And then currently right now doing hospital chaplaincy, CPE, for those who know that, and then a lot of side hustles and efforts. Uh, one thing fun, I've it's not really fun anymore because I'm at the, you know, the end of it where you just want to be done doing an MBA. Uh-huh. So hopefully going to finish May or summer. just depends how, how much uh, endurance I have to finish. Right, right. Well, there are several things you just said that I want to get into. So I'm just going to jump into one of them. So, so um, one of the things I find uh, that was interesting about your 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 resume, in a way, uh, is uh, the various educational credentials and pursuing an MBA. So, so why pursuing an MBA? Yeah, I'll just say I still want to do a demon or PhD at some point if my wife will let me. <laughs> uh-huh. For me, I think this was about. So I started, this was, it's been very much a COVID endeavor. I started this January of 2020. So really right before things got nuts. And I had been thinking about for a long time, wanting to do a demon or something like that. And I really just wrestled with like, Hey, what do I see like church heading in the demands and realities of what it takes to lead a church or an organization. And um, it wasn't that I diminish or don't think demons and and that kind of stuff is important. But I just mm-hmm. thought, well, I really think that I would be at least, at least in the kind of ministry that I want to do, better equipped to lead with something like an MBA. So I'm doing an MBA with a nonprofit emphasis. Oh, good. Okay. Okay. Um, and, and what would you hope to gain uh, in terms of knowledge and skill set out of that MBA that might contribute to what you do next with with church or church related matters. Yeah, so that's really been I think I've been really 
just enjoyed. I mean, there's been, I'll, I'll just say like financial management was not a lot of fun. Um, accounting was not a lot of fun. Accrual accounting, not super fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, fund, account, fund accounting is a really complex discipline. Right, right. So it was a very steep learning curve for me. And I mean, like, I haven't done math, Gary, at a collegiate level in 20 years. <laughs> and this was like Bible college math. 20 years ago. So it's, it was really steep learning curve for me. Um, Uh but like, I mean, where to start? I mean, what comes to mind first is like I said, I'm doing a nonprofit emphasis. So I've done classes in social entrepreneurship. I've done classes in nonprofit management and, um, even just the basic, um, fundraising classes I did. Um, trying to think what else it's, I mean, I think it's all relevant, even even as boring and painful, I think, as um, accounting was, I think it's good practice because I think I've heard this uh, before, like pastors, we don't get trained how to read a balance sheet in seminary. And yet we go to a, a staff meeting or a council meeting or, or a board meeting and we get handed a, a balance sheet and are expected to, to be able to make heads or tails of it. Mm hmm. Yeah, one of the reasons, in fact, is uh, for a number of years here, our um, uh, chief financial officer would, in fact, in a church administration course or or uh, in um, uh, Nancy, one of Nancy Pittman's courses, uh, she would have the chief financial officer come in and try to show what a balance sheet is uh, and and how to read it. And I, you're right, unless unless someone comes to us with a background that includes some financial management, especially nonprofit financial management, they don't realize that if you have more than one fund, meaning that uh, you've got an annual fund where you're bringing in dollars that you can expend out without restriction, and then you have some restricted funds as people set up various memorials, now you're into fund accounting uh, and you're into something different from well, from uh, business accounting as a whole, and and a lot of people who don't understand about donor intent and and the way the IRS uh, 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 comes down on you if you or can come down on you if you violate donor intent, uh, uh, it, it can be a big it can be big trouble. It can, it can. So there were a number of skills uh, in that MBA, which uh, and knowledge bases, which uh, were not. While they might have been touched on here and there in the seminary curriculum, it certainly wasn't a, you're going to help you build a new habit or a new mindset uh, uh, so that you can deal with, with that part of it. And I think, just to be honest, Gary, the the job market for a clergy person isn't what it used to be. And I know you've done a lot of writing and talking about that. So part of this is just realistic, like it broadens my job uh market abilities and and i kind of laugh about that because 20 years ago my mom was like hey lauren you need to get a marketable degree and here i am 20 years later finally (laughs) getting something (laughs) right right i was always taught that the master divinity was in, in fact quite a marketable degree when you think of when you think of in terms of its of its um uh the variety of ways in which it helps you understand human nature and human communities uh, and the like. And I think it is, and it's a good broad education. It's a deep education. However, <laughs> there's also, there's nothing 
in a lot of our degrees that is uh, that fits into the. Um, uh, so how do you go about being an entrepreneur? How do you go about starting things, uh, starting uh, starting some kind of organization? I've long said, as you've mentioned, my own writing and, and interest that uh, when one graduates seminary these days, uh, one needs to either be prepared either to renew something or start something. Uh, and and I the frankly the renewal opportunities are diminishing and <laughs> increasingly it's it starts something like that's kind of what that i've been really doing like my parents uh my dad's a pastor of a small inner city church here in denver and they've ran a food pantry out of their church for 10 15 years and um a year ago i was like mom like dad we should you should organize this and to make an independent nonprofit because it's going to be a lot easier to get grants for mm-hmm. a, for a nonprofit mm-hmm. that's independent of the church and um so I helped start that and okay. it's been going for about 6 months and we've already gotten like 50,000 in grants and I mm-hmm. think really what's the only thing limiting it right now I believe is just the amount of time that I can help like commit to helping getting grants and grant writing and all that stuff. Cause it's a lot yeah. of work. I don't want to shine anybody away. Like doing nonprofit kind of work. It's, it's adding stuff on top of stuff. Like if you're thinking starting a nonprofit at my church is going to be the solution to all my problems. It's not, but I think like, honestly, if you have some kind of ministry in your church, some outward facing ministry, it can often make a lot of sense to spin that into an, a separate nonprofit uh, can do a lot of good. It can, it can. And like you were alluding to, it also comes with the variety of new requirements. Like, uh, like a church doesn't need to file a, a, the 990 every year um, that a, a, a non-church based nonprofit would have to do so. So it, it, it does it's, it's other requirements. And like you said, it also opens uh, the, the doors to lots of, um, foundation money and and probably right now uh in particular with all of the uh the um uh the covid related um uh granting that's been done from uh the federal government to the states and then distributed uh there's more kinds of money available now than probably at any time in recent history yeah yeah absolutely yeah I know that you had an opportunity uh, again to start something that you've been you were involved in a new church start and you as you said in the uh, your opening uh, that uh, it, it closed. What did you say about seven months ago now? Yeah, May May twenty twenty, right? No, twenty twenty one. Whatever year we're in, twenty twenty one. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Whatever year we're in, it's twenty twenty repeated that the second time or a third time. Um, so I'm um, it's always it's always good I think to share. So what did you learn from from that experience? Uh uh learn both uh in terms of yeah that was good. We you know if I were to do something like this again I would repeat that and also the learnings of nope would not do that that way again or that place again um and here's why. So what Say something. Uh, tell us some about what what the what you learned from uh, from that experience of trying to start or being involved at least in the start of a 
of a new community. Yeah. I mean, first thing I say is I just, I loved the work. I mean, I really loved the work. I love the hustle. I love the thinking outside the box. I love the, the creativity and the trying new things. That was so much fun for me connecting with people who had been unchurched or dechurched and, and really had, I mean, I'm in Colorado, Denver, Metro, where there's the disciples, disciples of Christ presence, even the mainline presence isn't is not that big and we're very evangelical even though we're not colorado springs there's still a strong evangelical presence here so people really don't have any kind of sense of what mainline church is especially no clue about who the disciples of christ are so it was really fun for me to be able to like hey look at this tradition that we have that really has such a great depth and breadth of theological wisdom and history and teachings and people so it was really fun to be able to like connect that to people in a new way. Um, I think some of the things that I, I think that I would do differently, one, I'm a I know like in many mainline churches they're getting away from buildings, but I still think buildings matter. Um mm. there's just something to like having a permanent presence in a community. So I met in a yeah. I met in a school building. Uh, at least pre-COVID, mind you. So we'd mm-hmm. set up and tear down every week. And I just, it was exhausting. And I think mm-hmm. the only way it worked, because I was just like, you know, I'm I'm fairly young and I could I could do it. I could do the physicality mm-hmm. of it. And we'd have a few volunteers to help us every week. But I mean, it was no joke. And I, I think a lot of people like think, oh, we're going to sell our building and meet in a school and it's going to be the solution. And call me first, like, Call me first and I'll tell you how much work it really requires and all the ins and outs. Like, because A, like people don't think a a church that's been on a corner, like, yeah, it may lack Uh the impact in the community and people like, oh, yeah, that's right. There is a church there, but it's still there and people can still notice it. Whereas a school is a school. That's what they think of. Uh, And there's, there's institutional infrastructural things you have to like set up and tear down every week. Like, you know, signage and, and make it like trying to create a sense of sacred space in a, in a elementary gymnasium isn't the easiest thing to do. Um, Now I think uh, obviously buildings are expensive and, and create their own challenges. I'm not again saying a building is just like a a golden solution. I think uh, thinking strategically, you know, like we talked about nonprofits, how can we involve nonprofits in here to make this a community space that's more, uh, use more than just Monday, or I'm sorry, just just Sunday. So let's use Monday mm-hmm. through Saturday. Um, but I think having a permanent presence would really be helpful. Um, and uh, another thing is, and, and this is something that I I kind of bristle saying, is I think bivocationality has to be the thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I would say that the the thing that I the thing I would preface is, is I think it really has to be great care has to be taken for um, the church planter because like it's one thing to like say, Hey, we want you to be bivocational. And then like, you know, I think there's almost no way to lead a church and not be whether or not you're getting paid full time to be full time, putting in full time work, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think really has to be great care made to say, hey, if we're going to expect this pastor to be bivocational, 
we really need to have expectations that are bivocational. Um, so, and then I think just to be frank, like pay as much as you can um, support the church planner. I was, again, I was fortunate. I was, that was not really a huge issue for me. I was fairly well compensated. Yay! I mean, at least there's my guest in mainline world. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but I think one of the things I realized is I had an opportunity. Um, I turned down a, a CPE church uh, certified pastoral education residency um, back when I was getting started um, because I was like, Oh, I want to do this. You know, the expectation was that I do this full time, the church planning. And I think in uh-huh. hindsight it would have been better to do that. Now that's uh-huh. why, that's why I say though, making sure expectations are reasonable Dad, no! because I don't think there's any no, way I could have done. Don't do that. <laughs> you can hear Dad, why. I don't think there's any way I could have uh-huh. done. Uh-huh. Uh, hospital chaplaincy is no joke. It's very demanding yes, and church planning. Demanding. So I don't, I don't know if that really would have worked to be honest. Um, yeah. So I yeah. think bivocationally, bivocationality is important, but you know, I don't know if there's, it has to be the right time and place and system. Right. What are you thinking these days about what the church is really about? I mean, I'm still a believer in the gathered community. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think what's the word ecclesia called out community. I still believe yes. in mm-hmm. the value mm-hmm. of people gathering together. Um, I think, you know, I think there was a, you probably saw it, Gary, there was an article that was going around the internet a while back about the rise of micro church. Mm-hmm. And, to, you know, frankly, I'm not sure I'm, this is something I've been, right. I've been, thinking and praying and wrestling in my head for like the last six months about starting a home church. Um, Mm -hmm. Because, and this is again, uh, one of my kind of MBA learnings is economically on a, you know, when we think about scale, how a business can do well, at least in our current economic setup, they either have to go really big or get Mm -hmm. really small or just be really small and really lean. Mm -hmm. And I think mm-hmm. the same thing is going to – we're going to see it for churches is obviously hmm. mega churches can do well because they have these huge economies of scale. Right. You know, whereas a church of 100, 150, they're really going to struggle because like mm-hmm. their overhead is going to be similar to a church of 300, Correct. 400. Right. But right. they don't have as many givers. And then, of course, we all right. know um, – we all know – Giving isn't necessarily what it used to be, and that younger families mm-hmm. or persons don't mm-hmm. have the economic mm-hmm. income. So I think something really small can be economically feasible. You're not going to have, obviously, the demands of a building, perhaps, um, of a full-time salary. And, it, and again, it's going to require like a bivocational-type pastor. So it's... I mean, it's not a perfect scenario because you're going to limit what you can do and the kind of impact you can have in your community. Um, But as far as I think is feasibility, I think either going really small, because let me tell you, like the really big model, it's really hard to pull off. Like churches come to Denver, evangelical churches, new church starts come to Denver all the time with far more resources and people than I ever had and still don't make it. Right. Less so in places like Tulsa. 
where where I'm, I'm amazed at the number of of larger churches that have planted even in recent years. And of course, we have in Oklahoma, we have Life Church TV, uh, uh, which has many campuses, um, which will which will also be interesting to see uh, how this plays out when uh, uh, when the COVID surge uh, surges. Um, have passed, it becomes endemic in the culture, and we we learn to deal with it and go about our daily lives. Uh, I know a lot of pastors of 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 uh, variety sized churches who are saying, right now I'm a third to a half of what I had prior to the pandemic, and they're uh, they're all pretty convinced. Well, this isn't coming back 100. percent Yeah, and it's the same ever. thing in evangelical churches too. Like they're seeing those same kind of numbers declines yeah so besides the size thing which i which i think is really important uh a really important insight about uh, what size we might be looking at so what 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 would you have if you start a home church or a house church what, what would what would it do what would be what, what would be its mission i think a slim mission would be really important because again think about it, you're going to have really limited time and resources so you got to be really slim down in your mission and i think you know, this was something I think that I, I don't, I wouldn't say I struggle with. I think uh, folks outside of me struggled with the the slimness of my mission, feeling like like my church wasn't my new church start wasn't doing enough. But but I was of the thought like, yes, like I want to be doing work in the community. But at this point, my my biggest goal and aim is becoming sustainable, becoming uh, feasible. So what is it, I know one of the resources you're trying to offer to uh, uh, pastors and and all today uh, is is through your future Christian podcast. So uh, as we come to the last few minutes here, tell us some about what what you're trying to do with the Future Christian Podcast. Yeah, well, the podcast was something that I started like in May of 2020. It just is like a way, like, hey, I'm stuck, can't go out because one of the things. One of the things that I did when I was a new church starter was I made it a goal to talk to, I forget what my metric was exactly, to talk to like 10 people outside the church every week about my church. Okay. Okay. So that was just one of my metrics is like, have I talked to 10 people outside my church about the church? Um, so obviously it was a lot harder for me to do that when we, we had lockdowns and such. So I thought yeah, right. maybe a podcast is something that, that I can do to talk to people. So I've really been fortunate to talk to a lot of really cool people, interesting people about matters of church and, and faith and leadership and uh, really enjoyed being able to do it. Uh, so I'd love for, for folks to check that out, have some great guests. Um uh, Diana Butler Bass, Brian McLaren, um, Jay Baker, some disciples folks. Uh, so it's really an ecumenical, progressive, broadly progressive Christian uh, scope and aim. And something that I'm I'm working on, Gary, is called the Future Christian Network, which I'm I'm looking yeah. to partner with other podcasts. So Gary, I was going to chat you up about this after recording. Other podcasts yeah. looking to kind of. Um, work together to increase our scope and our reach and our, our network by working together. I was curious when you named it Future Christian, what did, what did you have in mind? Why, why, I mean, obviously that's not, you know, if it said past Christian or 
or today's Christian, you know, today's Christian sounds really pedestrian and past Christian sounds like now we got too much of that. <laughs> we don't need that. <laughs> so it might sound obvious, but I'm curious why you chose future Christian as a name. Well, I'll give a shout out to, he was my former worship leader, Paul Romick Levitt. Uh, he came up with a name, but it was something like, what can I call this? That's future thinking t- to detail that I want this to be future thinking, you know, passionate about the future of the church leading in the future that kind of thing forward thinking so he came up with that name and i was like oh that's great well lauren it's great talking to you today and i really appreciate uh, your um candor uh in in talking about your post-seminary experiences uh and uh and uh the challenges of 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 being in ministry today This has been Committing Faith in Public, a podcast from the Center for Religion and Public Life at Phillips Theological Seminary. Copyright Phillips Theological Seminary and Gary Peluso Vedat. The views and opinions expressed during the podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect official positions of Phillips Theological Seminary.